When somebody brings a therapy dog into a nursing home, they become alert and they engage in ways that they typically wouldn't. Hi, I'm Bobby, a certified caregiving consultant, a certified caregiving advocate, and a caregiver support group leader. And I'm her husband, Mike, and I'm a certified caregiver advocate and a certified music therapist. And this is Roger That, the podcast dedicated to guiding you through the heavy haze of dementia. Here, we focus on the caregiver, we offer some practical insights and share some emotional support. And we might even share a laugh or two, and we all know that laughter is, in fact, the best medicine. And don't forget the wine, Mike. Now, you know I never forget the wine, my sweet. (laughs) I know when we were taking care of your father, I did what I called constructive caregiving on the run. And one of the things that we did was we had somebody bring in a therapy dog to visit with your dad. I remember when Addie came and sat up there with with Roger and uh, provided him just a little bit of companionship. Um, he wasn't much for human companionship, but he didn't mind the dog so much. And because the dog was here, that prompted you to write your first book. Yes, yeah, Story Writer. Story Writer Gets a Dog was a story of a little girl who... Um, was asked by her neighbor to train a puppy to be a therapy dog. So I decided that that's what I would do. And it's the story of the training. It's the story of this little girl and her pets and um, how she trains her dog to go into schools and help kids learn how to read. And that brings us to today's guest. She is the executive director of the Alliance of Therapy Dogs. She has done therapy work with six different dogs spanning four breeds. Her therapy venues have been hospitals, nursing homes, VA hospitals, assisted living facilities, reading programs, and others. Please welcome to our show, Billy Smith. Good morning. How is everyone? Hi, Billy. Oh, we are doing well, and we certainly hope you are too. We are. Um, We're very eager to have you share information about therapy dogs with our listeners. You've done work with six different dogs and in uh, four breeds. So I imagine you have some stories to tell about therapy dogs and the people that have them helping them in their homes. Yes, it's not only been um, a wonderful job for myself. Uh, having been with the Alliance of Therapy Dogs for 29 years, I started um, helping in 1990. I started helping the founder and the co-founder with their little mom and pop operation in their home and I just went in once a week and helped them do various different tasks that needed to be done to get everybody's information back out to them as they did their renewals and so forth. Alliance is a is a national registry. Um, we have a certification process that we take the teams through that qualifies them to be insured under our insurance policy. So we are currently around 17,000 members. Wow. We are nationwide, Puerto Rico and Canada. Wow. So 29 years ago when we, when we started, we really um, only did the hospitals and the nursing homes. So my heart will always lie with the nursing homes. I, I did them for so long, and I did them with my, my very first therapy dog, who I worked with for 11 and a half years. And she just shined in that particular venue. But today, we have ourselves 
not only doing reading programs, which was an extremely popular thing that popped up probably about 15 years ago. Mm-hmm. And it gave us a, a nice little growth spurt because people wanted to get registered and take their dogs into the schools and do the reading programs and the libraries. And then we've had another surge here with hospice. Hospice facilities were opening up all over the United States, and they were looking for volunteers to come in and do hospice visits. And I might add that hospice is one of my favorite visits. We have a very small hospice facility here in Cheyenne. It's only 12 beds, but um, it's such a positive venue. Um, even though people are are there to pass, we work very closely with the staff and also with the family members. And and hospice is just um, just a really wonderful venue for anybody who hasn't tried it. They really should. And then we've had our last surge was the airport. And 29 years ago, I would have never ever thought that we would see therapy dogs in an airport. But Stress relief has become a huge, uh, a huge thing uh, for therapy dogs, and it happens on the college campuses, universities, colleges, high schools. Um, every year during finals week, the dogs are in there doing stress relief with the kids, and so that sort of fell over to the airports, and we do basically the same type of work. We are doing stress relief for the members. Um, that go to the airports are out there on a, on a weekly basis, at least. I know I do the Denver airport and we have over a hundred teams that are registered at that airport. So gosh, almost any time, any day of the week out there, you might see a team working out on the concourses. And it's been an amazing uh, venue for me because people, I, I work with the Doberman. And so people, of course, are in awe over the fact that the Doberman can be a therapy dog. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> yeah, they, they have such a bad reputation, right? Yes, yes. I can certainly understand this, the stress of getting on an airplane. That's, that's probably one yeah. of my least favorite things to do. Yes. Um, I've seen videos like on YouTube and so on. When somebody brings a therapy dog into a nursing home, mm-hmm. And it's like pets and children bring these people alive. They become alert and they, and they engage in ways that the, they typically wouldn't. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I used to years ago when, when it was allowed, I, I, have, uh, I have eight grandchildren. So I, have my, I had my grandchildren going to the nursing home with me when I took my therapy dog with me. And that, like I said, was years ago because, of course, now with all of the HIPAA um, mm-hmm you know, HIPAA policies and so forth, then that isn't allowed any longer. But I, one night I, I did have a little resident who wanted to keep both my dog and my granddaughter. So <laughs> I, we spent, <laughs> we spent quite a little bit of time that evening visiting with her uh, until she finally got a little bit tired, you know, and then we told her that we were going to let her get some rest and, and we did manage to, to escape, but we, we do have a, junior handler position in our organization and that is for the kids that are 12 to 18 and they uh 16 to 18 they can go out and they can do their therapy visits on their own because of course they're old enough to drive and so forth and they do understand what HIPAA is and so 
they they can go out without their parents, but from 12 to 16, then they have to have a parent with them on all of their visits. But it's something that we are really starting to focus on because it is very important for not only for the people who they go and visit because they do love seeing younger people there. It's also important to teach the kids that volunteering is very important. Yes. And it's something that you should always do and something that you can do to give back to your community. And this type of volunteering is one of the easiest and most rewarding uh, types of volunteering, I think. I imagine it's kind of fun, too, interacting with the dogs. It is. It really is. And it's, um, you know, people, oftentimes people will say, I don't know why you, you know, why do you volunteer so much? You know, your time has got to be worth some money. And And I tell them, but you don't understand what the joy that you get in giving back, you know, to, to the people and how much they appreciate it. And they tell you that when you go and do your visits, they thank you for being there and thank you for, you know, spending some time with them, especially in the nursing homes. And the kids love the dogs um, in the, in the reading programs at the schools and the libraries. And I do boys and girls club. And I just did um, a little video as a matter of fact, um, to do a, a little virtual visit with the kids this last weekend. And um, the kids, I mean, it's the kids' um, outlet to talk to you. The the dog is your common denominator. Everybody, well, I can't say everybody. There are people who don't like dogs. It's right. very rare. But <laughs> typically, a dog is the easiest thing in the world to use to open up a conversation. Yeah. And I imagine that's true with people of all ages, including those in the nursing homes. Yes, absolutely. And and you have people um, who are members who may not be very necessarily really talkative, um, and they're not a real good conversation starter, but they don't have an issue with that when they go with their therapy dog, because the dog is the conversation. So it makes a real easy conversation with you and the person that you're visiting with, um, and then they tell you about the dogs that they've had, and it's it's just so easy to do that. So have you found any difference of going in with the therapy dog with somebody with dementia as opposed to, say, a reading program or into the nursing home like a memory care facility? Yes. Our co-founder, um, as a matter of fact, had a, was an Alzheimer's patient. I cared for her for five years. And she did therapy work with her dogs. Um, and I, I might add, they started this organization with dopamine. <laughs> so uh, she, she had done therapy work with her dogs for, for many years. So when it was time for us to put her over in the memory care um, at one of our assisted living facilities, she was very comfortable in going and I inherited her little five pound papillon and I would take the little papillon over to on a right almost on a daily basis you know to visit with her and on a day that she was very agitated you know they have their days where where things are so confusing and and things are not making any sense and get very agitated and I could walk in with Topaz 
and it didn't matter if I had if I had Topaz or if I had my Doberman. Um, as soon as she saw a dog, she would sit down and she would hold the dog and she would become very calm. And then we could have a, an okay conversation, you know, at that point in time. And then she was a little easier for the staff to deal with for the rest of the day. So the I've done Alzheimer's units for many years now. Um, we have two assisted living facilities and each one of them has their own Alzheimer's unit. And we go in on a weekly basis and visit with these people. And it's very interesting, I think, to watch them. Some of them, some of them forget what the dog is. No. But then after they pet the dog for a little bit and you talk to them about it, then the next thing you hear is, I have a dog. I have a dog. And I had a little lady many years ago. Her name was Fairy, and she was actually she <laughs> she was actually a madam that ran a brothel here in Wyoming um, <laughs> many many years ago. And she was the she was the prettiest little lady I had ever seen. She was wearing a red hat and a red dress and red heels and the red purse and the whole nine yards when I walked in the day that she went into the facility. And I had my Doberman. I have to ask, was there a red light? (laughs) (laughs) No, No, but I'm sure there would have been if she could have had one. But uh, I walked towards her and she looked at me and she said, why do you have my dog? Oh, wow. And (laughs) And I paused for a moment and I looked at her and I said, I'm taking care of her for you. Great answer. And she said, well, is she eating? Yeah. She said, is she eating? I said, yes, she is. She's doing very well. And so that little lady eventually ended up in just red high top tennis shoes. And they had to take her red lipstick away because she wanted everybody to wear it. But um, every week when I went in there to visit with her, she did not talk to me. She talked to her dog. Mm -hmm. And for eight years, we did that. And eight years later, then she passed away, and I still had my dog, thank the Lord. Uh, I still had my dog to go and visit with her every week. And she was very connected to the dog. And in the same facility, we had a little lady who would yell all day long, I want my coffee. I want my coffee. And we would go in, and we would visit with her, and she'd be as calm as could be, and she'd be petting the dog. And when we went to leave, she'd start yelling again. And one of the little CNAs that day said, could you just, could one of you just spend the day here? <laughs> I'll bet. <laughs> With the dog. I'll bet. <laughs> so that she'll quit yelling, you know. That it, they do have such a, a remarkable, a remarkable effect on um, people um, with dementia and and the elderly, you know, who are in the in the nursing homes, and that, I think that's why my heart stays there so so strongly, because I really feel how much good um, we're doing in that particular that particular venue, and there are so so many in the United States that we haven't even reached yet. You know, we have seventeen plus thousand volunteers, but there will never be enough people volunteering to reach all of the facilities that are out there that need, you know, that need this type of service. Absolutely. So, and the school, you know, the schools and the libraries and all of the things that the kids are so um, hopefully giving the kids an outlet. um, You know, of course we don't discuss things 
like at the Boys and Girls Club, you know, we don't ever discuss any anything personal with any of the kids, but it gives the kids an outlet for a little bit to tell me what their dog, uh, what kind of a dog they have and what their dog does and and uh, what they do with their dog. And, and most of the time, um, my suggestion to them is work with, you know, let's work with your dog because pretty soon you're going to be 12. And when you turn 12, then you can go ahead and you can do some therapy work you know, with your dog. So trying to, it's kind of a encouragement, you know, for them to try to give them something to look forward to and try to give them something positive to focus on uh, that they can do in their community because so many of them come from a poor background. You know, um, they're, they're struggling, you know, they're, they're struggling every day with classes and family life and everything. The dog that came to visit my dad was a golden Mm -hmm. and just a beautiful, beautiful dog. Yes. And came in and went up to my dad. My dad kind of petted his head a little bit. And my dad sat back in his chair and the dog laid there at his feet. And every now and again, the dog would get up and my dad would pat him on the head. Mm-hmm. But when we would go to my daughter's house, she had a little Yorkie. Mm-hmm. And he used to sit with that dog in his lap. And my dad was a super introvert. And the one thing that stressed him out more than anything was people people right. all around. Right. And at my dad's house, there was people, or I'm sorry, at my daughter's house, there was people all over. And he would be stressed out and he would be ready to go in 20 minutes. Right. But he would sit in the chair in the corner with Chewy on his lap and he would just sit there and pet the dog and we could be there for hours. Mm-hmm. And he was just so at ease. Mm-hmm. Do you find a difference with, uh, say, dementia patients or in a nursing home uh, between a lap dog and a, a larger dog, like say a Doberman or a Golden? Yes. And um, that's why I'm so happy that we have such a variety of animals. We have everything, you know, registered with us. We have everything from a, a, a one pound Chihuahua to a 280 pound Mastiff. So um, the larger dogs, sometimes depending upon the breed, the Goldens are very, the Goldens are soft. Yes their their hair is soft they have a happy face they're um they're typically fairly calm um depends upon how old they are sometimes golden can be a little rowdy but um typically a golden is is more accepted i would say by the older people than my doberman or a rottweiler the golden is soft and and uh cuddly whereas you have when you have the um, I don't want to say the dangerous breeds, but the the tougher breed out there that's used uh, the working dog that's used the ones with the bad reputations. Yeah, the ones with the bad reputations, the ones that are used um, mostly for security and and those types of things. They might be a little bit standoffish with them. Haven, um, who is my six year old Doberman, I call her a seeker, and because when Haven goes to visit with the elderly people that are over at the nursing homes and then the assisted living. She's very gentle and she lays her head either in their lap or on their bed or in their hand. So she will approach them very slowly and she will lay her head there. She's very calm. So they typically don't get too excited over her. I mean, they like, they enjoy her laying her head in their lap, you know. Um, I do think for hospice, it's been my experience 
And I've worked with everything from a five pound Papillon to a hundred pound Doberman. So I've had a Beagle and a Shiba Inu and, you know, medium sizes. So it's been my experience for hospice visits that oftentimes the smaller dog is a little easier because hospice beds are typically raised higher. So for my Doberman, she's shorter and she can't quite reach the bed for the patient. She's great with staff and, and family members, mm-hmm. um, but she can't quite reach the patient because the bed is up too high. Whereas my little five pound Papillon, I can simply lay her right there in the lap, you know, of the patients. I imagine that dogs like people have different personalities. Yes. Um, do the therapy dogs go through a training to decide if they have the temperament they do. to do this kind of work? They absolutely do, yes. Um, on our website at therapydogs.com, we have a, a packet of information out there, and you can see the tests that um, the teams go through. So the, they are tested as a team. Uh, the dog and the person together are tested as a team. So the handler has to pretty much know what they're doing as, and have a connection with that dog and be able to communicate, you know, well with the dog. And then the dog has to have good basic obedience skills um, in control on a loose four foot leash, no jumping, no pawing, no licking, no aggression towards dogs or humans, of course. Mm-hmm. And um, so we take them through the hand, what we call our handling test. And once they pass that, then they have to do three observations. Those observations are actually visits that are done within a facility. So they go with me. I'm a tester observer. So I take my teams into my nursing homes. Typically my nursing, nursing homes and assisted living um, is where we can do our testing because they don't uh, necessarily require insurance and they also open their doors to family pets. So they're, they're happy that we have insurance. Uh, they're also a little more open, you know, to having a, a dog that isn't, isn't covered by insurance yet to come in. So we go in and we do our visits and um, all, all through the visit, they have an opportunity to ask questions of me and I have an opportunity to give them some constructive criticism if need be, or to help them um, show them how to sit the dog beside the wheelchair, how to sit the dog beside the bed, how to put the dog in a lap. Um, there's different um, things that you do depending upon the size of the dog. Well, I have to tell you that um, I'm so much information is going out to our listeners today about these wonderful dogs and the services Uh um, that are available. And I I want to thank you for all that you do in the different communities that you support. And thank you for being on our show. And we will put a link to the Alliance of Therapy Dogs on our website so people can go to it and find out more information about this process. Yeah. Again, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you for having us. Thank you, Billy. It's been a pleasure. So we touched on a number of topics. Um, So let's take a moment to review a few of the points that we discussed. The advantage of having a trained therapy dog into a hospice situation or a nursing home um, seems to almost have the same kind of effect as music therapy. Yes, in a lot of ways, it's very, very similar. Like she said, taking that dog in 
immediately calm somebody down who was very agitated or in an aggressive manner that they uh, sat down and were calm, not only at the time the dog was there, but for the rest of the day with the staff, which is pretty amazing. That's, that's awesome. Another thing that stood out to me was getting teenagers and younger kids involved in being with the dogs and going out and volunteering in the community. Um, more and more, it's important for kids who are college bound or whatever to have um, volunteer opportunities or having volunteered in the community as part of their resume. And I would think that working with a dog and, and doing this kind of community support would be something that would not only be valuable for their for their resume, but for their interaction with people in the community that they wouldn't normally come in contact with. Not only that, I think it gives them a greater appreciation for the people, um, the, the elderly. And every instance that I've seen or I've heard the kids walk away with a whole different attitude of, of what service is to somebody as opposed to just walking along and picking up some litter with one of their friends. I think that's a great opportunity for kids. So therapy dogs are helping people in the community in so many different ways. And uh, again, our thanks to, to Billy and the Alliance of Therapy Dogs for sharing their information with us today. You can find more information about Billy and the Alliance of Therapy Dogs on our show website at rogerthat.show. This has been Roger That, and I'm Bobby. And I'm Mike. And we are dedicated to guiding you through the heavy haze of dementia. So please subscribe to the show, go to iTunes and post a review, follow us on Facebook and Twitter. If you have a question or issue you'd like for us to address, please post on the Roger That Facebook page. To find out more about us or where Bobby will be speaking next, head over to rogerthat.show. That's Roger, R-O-D-G-E-R, that.show. Missing Link is a proud partner of Hearing Charities of America, a nonprofit organization that supports those who are deaf or hard of hearing. You can find out more about HCA on our website or go to hearingcharities.org. Roger That is produced by Missing Link a media podcast company dedicated to connecting people to intelligent, engaging, and informative content.